Okay, everybody, welcome to Go Bold. My name is Jody Atariwala, and I'm your host. And today is the 1st of July, 2022, Canada Day. And I am privileged to have on the line the commanding officer of Her Majesty's Canadian ship, Vancouver. HMCS Vancouver is currently in port at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. And I am joined by Commander Kevin Whiteside. The commander is leading HMCS Vancouver as they begin their deployment, which first starts with a major exercise, the largest naval exercise in the world, which is the Rim of the Pacific, uh, commonly known as RIMPAC. Uh, so Commander Whiteside, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here and, and being a guest on this podcast. Thanks so much, uh, Jody. Uh, it's exciting to uh, be able to talk to you and uh, uh, to be a part of Go Bold. Uh, oh, thank been you. Following uh, since you and I uh, first got to know each other uh, a few years back, so uh, excited to be here today and uh, happy Canada Day to you as well. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. Um, so, if you don't mind, Commander, how about just from the outset, uh, if you give me a little bit of uh, uh, personal history about you, um, you know, where do you hail from, and how long have you been in the Navy, and how long have you been CEO of HMCS Vancouver? Well, thanks for asking that. I, I always talk about the uh, team. I rarely uh, talk about myself, but uh, quickly, I am from Scarborough, Ontario, born and raised uh, there, uh, have uh, one sibling and uh, a mom who still live in Scarborough. And I think they just moved about a block away from our childhood home. Uh, but I left Scarborough when I was 19 years old, right out of high school, joined the military as an infantry officer to the Royal Military College of Canada in Kingston. And after graduation, unfortunately playing hockey, I injured my knee, uh, which ended my infantry career uh, very much in its infancy. And uh, the rest is history. Drove uh, my Jeep out west in 2003 and have never looked back. And the rest uh, has been in, in ship to ship to ship and some amazing experiences uh, across all of the world's oceans. I love it. And, uh, you know, well, I don't love that you injured your knee. I, I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, I think the Army's <laughs> losses, the Navy's gain there, uh, Commander. <laughs> Thanks, Joey. It's, uh, I think everything happens for a reason. And I have a, an awesome wife and three great kids. All uh, my kids were born in uh, British Columbia. So uh, without the Navy, they wouldn't have had that opportunity. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Everything happens for a reason. Right. Indeed. Absolutely. And right on. Um, so, uh, yeah, how long have, have you now been CEO of HMCS Vancouver? I assumed command in the 31st of January 2021. So prior to that, I was working in Ottawa in the Navy's HQ uh, for a couple of years, which I absolutely love that experience as well. But uh, 18 months into my tour now and looking forward to uh, a few extra awesome months here as we embark on this journey called the deployment. That begs me to ask you, in, in your naval career, um, it's not uncommon for some people to not have participated in a Rim of the Pacific exercise. But seeing as you've been on the West Coast, um, you know, for a large portion of your career, um, is it safe to say that you have been on a Rim Pack previously? That's a safe assumption, absolutely. Uh, this is my fourth Rim Pack in my career, and I've done it in a few different uh, jobs. Over the years, a few different uh, types of ships as well. I was here with uh, one of our previous tankers uh, back in 2010, and I've loved every opportunity. I'm very excited to be here in my role as commanding officer because in my 
humble opinion. I think we have uh, the greatest crew, some incredible Canadians uh, on board uh, here today and ready to embark on this uh, Rim of the Pacific exercise heading out to sea on the 11th of uh, July. Uh, yeah, so uh, Jody, as uh, I was mentioning, uh, I've had uh, a few opportunities throughout my career to be part of RIMPAC, uh, which is really you know, being the biggest international exercise of its kind. It's a tremendous opportunity for all sailors to be part of, regardless of your experience level. As a very junior officer uh, back in the early 2000s, it was one of the first exercises that I remember being part of. Uh, and just the sheer uh, excitement in the shore phase when you get to meet like-minded uh, partners um, and then get out to sea with them as well and really work on that uh, the, the theme of RIMPAC, capable adaptive partners. You really see that you can learn from each other and just really expand uh, your knowledge and your skill set uh, by working with all these uh, fantastic mariners uh, out there. So it's an incredible experience uh, as a junior officer and now as a commanding officer. I continue to learn every day in this job uh, in the Navy and certainly being a part of a major exercise like this uh, is just uh, icing on the cake uh, in terms of that uh, learning journey. I love it. And that journey to to uh, deploy on a RIMPAC exercise obviously begins months, if not years before, uh, because the RIMPAC exercises every two years. And so speak to me, Commander, a little bit about preparation to deploy and preparation for RIMPAC, because I think obviously preparation to deploy is the main thing because you are going on from RIMPAC into, into a deployment, but um, there might be nuances that you prepare for in terms of a RIMPAC itself. Uh, so if I can just talk uh, about preparations writ large, because I, as I mentioned, I took over command here in January of 2021. At that time, the ship had just returned from a major refit of about two and a half years. So it hadn't sailed in about two and a half years uh, when I assumed command. So to take a ship, uh, it's like parking a car in a garage for two and a half years. When you take that car out of the garage, you know that you're going to have to change some wires, tighten some bolts, uh, maybe change a few major parts. Uh, that's essentially what we had to do as well. So uh, the initial sailing that we did was in June 2021. Uh, we had a much smaller team than we have now. We're now a team of 247 people uh, and growing as we lead into the deployment. Back then, we were just shy of 200. Um, our first days at sea, uh, we call a basic single ship readiness training. We bring on some experts from a, a group called the Sea Training Group. 30 people, they're experts in their trade craft. Uh, the initial days at sea, they came on board and ran us through all the safety things that you have to do as a team uh, to be able to execute your days at sea. So if, uh, if an issue arises, a fire, a flood, anything, we have to be able to keep ourselves afloat uh, and self-sustain at sea. So those are the initial days at sea back uh, last June. And then the remainder of 21 was really trialing all the different systems that we have on board, um, both from a propulsion standpoint, up to our radars and all of our weapon systems to ensure that everything worked properly so that when we do head overseas, uh, the array of operational objectives that we may have to uh, meet, that we're ready for all of those. As right we led into 2022, uh, in January, we re-embarked that team of specialists that I mentioned before as we 
crossed the Pacific for the first time and headed over to Hawaii. Uh, it was a month-long uh, training evolution uh, where we went through. So as I mentioned back in last June, it was basically just safety at sea. And the month-long training that we did in January was really focused on operations, everything from uh, replenishments at sea, seamanship evolutions, warfare-type evolutions, uh, boarding evolutions. We really cover uh, myriad and uh, the whole array of operational tasks that we could be asked to do. Um, on completion of that month, uh, we stayed in Hawaii. We disembarked those specialists, but we continued working with the U.S. Navy on uh, what's called a submarine commander's course, right. operating with a number of uh, U.S. surface and subsurface uh, vessels, as well as aircraft. Um, What's really special about that is that when you go on a long deployment for six months, uh, you go to a lot of operational ports of call where on behalf of the government of Canada, uh, we visit these ports and really uh, wave the flag uh, for Canadians. Um, we had our first two foreign port visits during that seven week sail as well, first being in Hawaii and second being in San Francisco. I think normally uh, or historically, if you talk to a Navy person, they're talking about port uh, visits uh, all the time. It's one of the most exciting things we do. With COVID and the pandemic, uh, ships hadn't been uh, conducting normal operational ports of call or, or port visits in some time. So Vancouver kind of led the way into how to do that safely as well amidst a global pandemic. So all of these lead into the preparations of getting us to where we are today uh, here in RIMPAC able to safely uh, work with our partner nations, uh, both alongside and as we get ready for sea. And I think in terms of uh, uh, selfishly and personally, taking this ship and this team on a follow-on deployment of six months from RIMPAC, RIMPAC itself is, you could not ask for a better final preparation uh, to proceed on deployment than what this has to offer. Oh, yeah, totally. And I'm envious of you, Commander, for participating in the Submarine Commander's course, because uh, I fondly remember doing TCMs, Torpedo Countermeasure, uh, Countermaneuvers, um, on board HMCS Algonquin years ago. So, yeah, those were good times. And um, I'm sure you had, uh, I'm sure you had a lot of fun doing it uh, on board uh, Vancouver, but it, obviously it's not just fun, it's, it's serious training. But um, just before we touch into, into RIMPAC, um, I'd love to get a little bit of perspective of what SCC was like for you guys, because um, it's just a little bit near and dear to my heart from, from my memories. <laughs> so from the entire operations team, uh, the above water team, uh, who you would usually think would be the ones firing guns or defending the ship against uh, missiles or aircraft, uh, when you're doing solely underwater operations, it becomes a, a whole team effort in the operations room. We have an underwater team. Uh, they're the specialists in kind of uh, looking for underwater objects, uh, but they also work very closely with the above water team uh, to find various ways to uh, locate and track those types of, uh, of vessels. Um, so for the operations team, it was a phenomenal experience, one that I, I would say is not matched by any other type of training that we do to prepare a team for underwater operations. Um, from a, a bridge team perspective, uh, the officers of the watch, we call them, they're the actual drivers of the ship. Uh, as you mentioned, your experiences with Algonquin well, for some of our junior watchkeepers, they had never been able to drive a ship, 
at high speeds with uh, fast turns and uh, feeling it uh, heel over. Um, all these things are great in terms of uh, that submarine commander's course where we're supporting uh, the U.S. in their training. Uh, but from a team perspective, even the simplest of things prepare a team. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we crossed the Pacific for the first time in January. There was a, a good number of the team, I would say probably about a quarter of the team, who had never really experienced a sea state before. Oh, right. So crossing the Pacific helps prepare them for a deployment by starting to see what uh, a fairly significant sea state feels like. Right. Fast forward to SCC when we're operating at high speeds uh, and hard over helm and the ship healing back and forth. It prepares the team that if we're in an operational environment and have to drive in a similar manner, it's not a surprise to them. Uh, and they know how to keep themselves safe when the ship is moving fairly rapidly through the water. Oh, yeah. What a great experience and, and great training. Um, and so that speaks to uh, to uh, coming up to RIMPAC because uh, now you're in Hawaii again. I assume that you were doing training uh, in consort with HMCS Winnipeg, which is the other Canadian frigate that's out there for RIMPAC. Uh, that's right. Uh, so HMCS Winnipeg, my very uh, dear friend, Commander Nick Fortin is the uh, captain over there. Uh, she and I have known each other for, well, since my first days in the Navy uh, aboard HMCS Ottawa. Um, so we're great friends. Uh, I'm honored to be on this uh, journey with her and her fantastic team in Winnipeg. Uh, we departed together from Esquimalt, sailed up to down to San Diego together. Uh, and from San Diego, we actually linked up with uh, three other nations. Uh, so there was five ships total, uh, three nations, three helicopters. Uh, we sailed uh, from San Diego across to Hawaii to prepare for a uh, RIMPAC um, with uh, Peruvian Navy, Chilean Navy, and uh, the U.S. Navy. Outstanding. So tell me a little bit about the difference, uh, Commander, because when you arrive at RIMPAC and you are a member of the crew, and you know nothing against a crew, but when you're a member of the crew, you are you're involved with your ship. But when you are the commanding officer, like you are, um, you now also have the opportunity to liaise with other commanding officers in this short period. Um, tell me from your perspective what that's like. And I'm asking because I want to get a sense of what it's like prior to the ships all setting sail for the actual active portion of, of RIMPAC at sea. Um, what's all that process like right now uh, and some of the collaboration, some of the things that you're learning and seeing and doing? So it's, when I look at RIMPAC uh, and you, you look online and you see the videos and you see the write-ups of past uh, RIMPACs and uh, kind of what we're looking to do uh, with this RIMPAC, it's, it's an exercise that covers the basics of almost every type of warfare. And the reason that I think it's important to uh, understand that we cover the basics, because we are looking to have like-minded partners, like-minded maritime countries uh, come together and just work together uh, to improve the way that we uh, do things at sea. Uh, starting with the basics, I think, you know, learning to lead together, learning to communicate together, uh, and then going out to sea and, and training together uh, will really foster and uh, help sustain cooperative relations with all these partner nations. So what we're doing here alongside over the 10 days is that we meet together uh, and talk through everything that we're going to do when we're at sea. 
so that if there's a safety concern, uh, we can talk it through before we get out there. Uh, if we need to simplify an evolution, we can talk about talk through it before we get out to sea. Or if we think, you know what, we could probably make this a little bit more complex and challenge ourselves a little bit more, uh, then we can discuss that face-to-face uh, before we go out. Uh, that's kind of broad brush what the, the commanding officers are doing day-to-day right now, but uh, we're in daily meetings together. It's fantastic. We're fostering uh, those relationships, and it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm meeting some uh, great shipmates who I'm sure I will continue to be friends with uh, for years to come. Uh, what's incredible about this shore phase as well is not only the interaction that uh, COs get to have, but all sailors get to have. And the design of this RIMPAC shore phase uh, enables even the most junior of sailors to get to know uh, shipmates and sailors from other nations. Uh, there's a whole sports competition that's a uh, different sport almost every day. Uh, so the, the interaction between the navies is not just at the command level, it's at every level. Uh, it's extremely impressive. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I should have remembered the movie. Just go to Hollywood and think about the Battleship movie. <laughs> I, I say that in jest, right. but, but but yeah. <laughs> that, oh, that... It, you know, I, I say that too. I have three kids and uh, they often ask what uh, what daddy does. And uh, I just say it, it, it's like a movie every day. You know, the, yeah. the helicopters flying, uh, there's other ships around, uh, you hear radios talking and it's just, uh, it's an incredible, uh, incredible experience every day. Uh, I just feel honored to be out here. I, I have to say that, and I don't say that lightly. It's, it's incredible. No, oh, right on. I take that to heart. I'm, I, I absolutely know that to be the case, uh, for sure, coming from you, Commander. Um, and so now, as you prepare, as the shore phase kind of progresses on, and you guys set sail on the 11th of July, uh, what will be some of the highlights that you look forward to with HMCS Vancouver and some of the things that you expect to see and do during RIMPAC 2022? So um, if you've ever been into an office of a naval flag officer, almost every office has a picture of a number of ships operating really close together. I would say that 90% of those ships, or sorry, those photos uh, are a a photo of RIMPAC. Right. For me, as a commanding officer, I am most excited to have that photo taken of the 38-plus ships and different types of vessels that are operating in this RIMPAC as we come close together uh, near the end of this exercise uh, and take that photo. Um, I am looking uh, forward to having that photo that we can put up in our ship and our, all of our crew, all of our teammates can look at that and be proud. That's me, but uh, you know, I'm the I'm the old uh, captain sitting up here in the cabin by himself most days. I think for the team, uh, what's going to be most exciting for for them is probably the the missile shoot, um, and also uh, working with other nations and seeing how they do things tactically that may help us uh, reconsider or refine the way that we do things uh, to be better every day. I love it. So two things I want to ask you on that. Um, uh, one is I'd love for you to give me a little bit more info on, on the missile X, because that's always something very exciting. Uh, but the other thing is it, it, you are familiar from a command perspective and, and just from a military perspective that um, a catchphrase is joint domain operations. And I know that's primarily led by the United States kind of using that phrase. Uh, I don't know if the Canadian Armed Forces does to, to the same extent. But um, 
but I suspect that that is interwoven into RIMPAC because it's not just naval ships. So um, are you able to speak to that at all in terms of collaboration with other entities or units, um, different branches of the military? So from a, a ship perspective, the, the joint aspect that we'll be part of is operating with other types of aircraft. So everything from uh, maritime patrol aircraft or MPAs, as we refer to them, to uh, fast air or jets uh, operating uh, with us, both from um, uh, they will either play the role of supporting what we're doing or kind of being against what we're doing, um, just to kind of make us think as uh, surface vessels. So. Uh, from a joint perspective, there's the Air Force and the Navy. There is also a, uh, a fairly large Army component uh, to this as well. Uh, many of the meetings that uh, I've been in the last uh, 48 hours, uh, the Marines have been there as well. So um, there's some amphibious uh, operations that go on uh, on different locations uh, throughout the islands here as part of RIMPAC as well. Uh, and it's not just here in Hawaii. There is uh, an aspect of RIMPAC that goes on in uh, San Diego as well. Um, and that kind of joint uh, thought of joint doma uh, domain ops, I think, can reach distances as well and show that we can be operating here. Others can be operating in San Diego. Yet collectively, we're all working on the same thing. So. Right on. Hey, everyone. Here's a quick note about our sponsor, Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions. The type of mission proficiency in this episode is the level that is essential for warfighters who must be prepared to face new challenges as well as emerging threats. Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions is a company that trains customers worldwide to improve their effectiveness and operational readiness. Warfighters from the United States, as well as allied partners like Canada and others, rely on Cubic to prepare them to excel in multi-domain operations more effectively and with less risk. Cubic values our goal in sharing stories from warfighters around the world, and in doing so, we're also trying to do our best to preserve history from first-hand accounts. We are proud to have Cubic as a teammate for this podcast. To learn more about them, please visit them at cubic.com. Now back to our show. You got to tell me a little bit about the missile X. Yeah, so um, very fun. Uh, when I look back, uh, I would say fun, uh, but absolutely necessary and very serious as well. When I look back to the most exciting uh, parts of my career, it's always the preparations that we did for deployment. All of our weapon systems we trial uh, before we deploy. Um, but obviously, right. uh, shooting a, a gun is a little bit different than shooting a missile uh, in terms of uh, access to uh, ammunition and the expense of the use thereof. So the missile firings on uh, most ships will only do uh, one prior to deploying. Um, it's exciting because, uh, I mean, how many Canadians can say that they've seen uh, a missile fire? Um, right. But it's also great in terms of the team having that last uh, thing that we do to really reinstill the confidence that we have in our abilities, our tactics, and in our weapon systems. So it's phenomenal, both from an excitement in, in what we do here in the Navy, but also in terms of the confidence that our team uh, needs to have uh, before they head overseas. Totally. Um, and it, are you going to be shooting an ESSM, uh, an Evolved Sea Sparrow, or will it be a harpoon that you guys are shooting? 
uh, we'll be uh, firing uh, ESSM. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how, how some of that goes. I, I think it's exciting days ahead for, for you and your crew, uh, Commander Whiteside. Um, tell me a little bit now, because I know our time is getting short, but um, once RIMPAC concludes, HMCS Vancouver and HMCS Winnipeg will continue westward into the Asia Pacific. And I believe the ships will be separating and doing their own individual operations. Um, one will be conducting Operation Neon, and the other one will be conducting Operation Presence, I believe. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're looking forward to as RIMPAC concludes. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to what the team here has prepared for uh, for the past 18 months, which is representing the government of Canada and all Canadians overseas on operations. Um, you're right, uh, Jody, and that we're heading over with Winnipeg. Uh, we'll be together for portions of the coming months and also separated for a portion thereof. Uh, both ships are conducting operation uh, projection, uh, but only Vancouver will uh, take part in NEON. Um, so we'll make seven port visits in four different countries. Uh, for us in particular, looking at Japan, uh, South Korea, Philippines, uh, United States, um, and these port visits alone will support uh, Canada's diplomatic efforts in the region. And for both of us, regardless if we're operating in projection or NEON, um, us being in the Indo-Pacific region just really demonstrates our commitment to the Indo-Pacific uh, region. And uh, that's also, I think, one of the goals of us being here at RIMPAC as well. For sure. Um, and is there any particular aspect to NEON? Like, was there a reason why Vancouver was selected for Op NEON? Or is there any kind of nuance to Op NEON that is that you could point out that is different from Op Presence? So uh, to answer the first part of your question there, there's no uh, reason why uh, Vancouver was chosen over Winnipeg for uh, conducting the, the NEON portion. Okay. Uh, just, you know, between the two ships, we're doing a, a number of different uh, um, engagements for the government of Canada and uh, on behalf of uh, global affairs as well. Uh, sure. So the NEON portion itself is to support the implementation of sanctions against North Korea. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that we've had ships doing for the past uh, few years, at least, and just kind of one of the operations that, that Canada has committed to. Uh, okay. And having two ships over there is fantastic. We can cover a lot of ground. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously honored uh, to be the ship that's chosen to uh, do such an important an important operation. Yeah. Uh, but that does not detract at all from the importance of the overall operation projection goals that uh, both ships are uh, embarking on. For sure. And operationally wise, is there any any kind of difference that in the way that you might operate or orient yourself during OpNeon? Uh, no, no. Um, I mean, uh, we're constantly uh, in liaison uh, back home with our Maritime Component Commander, um, and they are in liaison with Commander uh, Canadian Joint Operations Command and with the, the Government of Canada. Uh, in liaison and uh, we kind of operate in the way that we're told to by the government and uh, as I head over there what I'm most confident in is this team HMCS Vancouver's ability to do uh, anything that we're asked to do by the government of Canada and that's been kind of our mission statement since we started last year be ready to do anything that we're asked of by the government of Canada so as we embark on uh, RIMPAC here and our projection and off NEON um, I'm looking forward to representing Canada and all Canadians in a professional manner as best as we possibly can, but I'm also very confident 
in this team's ability. It's an incredible team. And so is uh, that of HMCS Winnipeg. Commander Whiteside, I can't think of a better way to conclude this uh, this chat. Uh, thank you so much, sir, for taking the time to speak with me on Go Bold. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I wish you and your crew of HMCS Vancouver and your sister ship of HMCS Winnipeg the best of luck and great success during RIMPAC and onward during your deployment. And I look forward to chatting with you sometime during that time where we can kind of get an update and see how things are going. Thanks so much, uh, Jody. Uh, as we started out, I'm absolutely honored to have this discussion with you and to uh, be a part of uh, Go Bold uh, and certainly looking forward to the next opportunity to speak with you. Love it. Commander, thank you so much. Happy Canada Day again to you and your crew, and I look forward to speaking with you. Um, fair winds, sir. And to you. Happy Canada Day. Thank you, sir. Take care of yourself. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.